Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Genre Equality Podcast on the Genre Equality channel. My name is Hitzir. I'm Hadi. I'm Isa. Uh, we got a lot to talk about this month, uh, particularly um, one big blockbuster out in cinemas. Mm-hmm. Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever, mm-hmm. it's out. Uh, it's kind of killing the competition. Oh, yeah. um, it's kind of... Yeah. Destroyed Black Adam, destroyed the Fablemans, destroyed Strange World. Um, this has been the worst month in uh, at least Hollywood uh, box office history. Oh, wow. um, and it would have been even worse if uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever wasn't there to kind of prop everything up. Yeah. Um, everything else has been like a major failure uh, and we'll talk about that later. Okay. Uh, plus, we'll talk about lots of good stuff on TV as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Endor, the latest Star Wars series, mm. just recently wrapped up. Uh, Interview the Vampire, also recently finished. Uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special, a very quirky, funny one-off uh, on Disney+. Plus. Uh, we'll, talk, we'll all talk about that. Um, Hardy recently went to the cinemas to watch things like Don't Worry Darling. Uh, and he'll let us know what that's about. Isa went on to Netflix to, talk, uh, to watch Wednesday. Oh, yeah. So he'll, he'll let us know how Jenna Ortega's performance mm-hmm. and the show is in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll bring you through some stuff I saw on BOD, like Barbarian, which I really, really liked. Um, other stuff on TV, like Let the Right One In, 1899, Strange World, Disenchanted, uh, and much, much more. Uh, let's begin, though, on a bit of a, a, bit of a downer note. Mm-hmm. Um, November has been like a rough month for the geek community, uh, particularly, I suppose, millennials and above, who kind of grew up with two of the names that we're about to talk about. Yeah. Uh, just recently, over the past couple of weeks, uh, the great Batman himself, the voice of Batman, Kevin Conroy, passed away. Uh, alongside more shocking news recently, uh, just last weekend, uh, the passing of Jason David Frank, better known as the Green Ranger, yeah. a.k.a. the White Ranger from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers fame, mm-hmm. passed away. Let's, let's begin with Kevin Conroy oh, first, uh, who is no past tense, not was, nope. is of a voice of Batman exactly. and will forever be the voice of Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the voice that you hear when you read comic books. When I'm reading a Tom King graphic novel or whatever, I hear Kevin Conroy in my head. I don't hear Christian Bale. Mm-hmm. I don't hear Michael Keaton. Uh, I don't hear anyone else. Kevin Conroy is the voice yeah. of Batman for a couple of generations and he will continue to be the voice of Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether you play the games, whether you watch the animated series, yeah. Um, he was the one that really defined the character of Batman for me, at least as a kid, mm, you know. Yeah. Um, superheroes were obviously born on a comics page, a visual medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my first real introduction to the law of Batman was through the animated series. Yeah, like, and I'm sure a lot of, a lot of kids were yep. the, the same, you know, on a Saturday morning, uh, watching the cartoons, mm-hmm. getting engrossed in the world. Uh, and the late Kevin Conroy is is Batman. You know, like again, I don't say that in the past tense because he'll always be yeah. the voice of Batman. Uh, let's begin with uh, you, Hardy. Sure. Um, what are your memories, or what do you think about the legacy of uh, Kevin Conroy as the voice of Batman? And and he has done other things as yes. well, of course, but he's best known for Batman. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, what what are your thoughts about his passing, his legacy, his work, stuff like that? I mean, the 1992 to 1995. Uh, Batman animated series was my first introduction to Batman. Mm. And I mean, he voiced, uh, famously voiced uh, Batman through yeah. that and through a lot of other mediums as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's probably the longest running Batman uh, actor. Most like. probably, yeah. yeah. Him and I guess Mark Hamill for Joker. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah, because Mark Hamill also was in the Batman animated series Joker, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so its entirety. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, like both of them, I feel are very integral, and Karen Conroy has that voice that. I mean, when you see, when you, you you see a Batman's voice, it's not Christian Bale, it's not any of these other actors. It's really Kevin Conroy's voice that you hear in your head, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and it's just so iconic that it's just it, it's it's no surprise that he played Batman on Batgirl. Was it Batgirl? Um, Batwoman. Oh, Batwoman. Sorry, yes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. He also um famously for the first time appeared live action as Batman on Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, the exactly. CW crossover. Yes. Mm. Yep. And also, uh. That was a kind of a cool like uh, uh, Easter egg, I guess, lah, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, again, his voice defines uh, the character, and I think yeah, you're right. Uh, it's not was he will always be the voice of Batman, and it's a very mm. sad passing, uh, because you know, uh, DC animation has been one of the best things about uh, DC superhero stuff, right? Yeah. And they always yeah. went back to Kevin Conroy whenever they needed Batman, mm-hmm. you know. Mm. So. He's going to be missed, man. Like, honestly, nobody can do it the way. I mean, everybody will just be a pale imitation compared to him, lah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I feel. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Isa? Oh man. Uh, same as you guys. Like uh, all of us growing up, uh, Batman the animated series is the definitive mm. Batman, uh, franchise, mm. right? Like a defining kind of uh, iconic performance. Uh, of an entire generation, you know, any yeah. of us who kind mm-hmm. of grew up in that time, like, um, that's basically how we knew the character. I think in addition mm-hmm. to what um, both of you have already shared, um, what I will always fondly remember about uh, Kevin Conroy's uh, Batman it will always be that it ha- it has not only stood the test of time to be the most iconic, just in terms of his voice, but in terms of like how nuanced his Batman is and how consistently he played that Batman over, you know, the animated series, uh, Mask of the Phantasm, you know, the new Batman adventures, all the way into like the Justice League animated series and stuff like that, right? Yep. Uh, it was a consistent and nuanced and well-rounded uh, representation of what most people understand to be the Batman character. Mm. And that's something that we've sorely lacked in almost anything that has come out since. Uh, mm-hmm. Right. In particular, the live-action movies, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and Kevin having had that long run time of like God knows how much screen time, right, to, to kind of like nuance and work and grow that character has mm-hmm. been a blessing to Batman fans. You know, uh, all around the world. So he will be sorely missed, um, and and uh, we will continue to remember him as the one true Dark Knight. Yeah, man. Yeah, um, Conroy had a reputation for being especially gracious to fans during his yes. convention appearances. Yes. Um, even as we know, his health began to worsen in, re- in recent years. Um, mm. if you don't know, he he passed away of cancer. Mm. Um, you had the sense that you know playing Batman was more than a paycheck to him, and that it was a, an opportunity to connect with a community that help build him and his work uh, alongside him. You know, Conroy may be gone, but as long as there is a, vo- a Batman, mm-hmm. and there will always be a Batman, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, his voice will continue to bring people together. Um, more shockingly, though, um, even more than Kevin Conroy, who we sort of knew the writing was on the wall. You know, he was very, very ill for a long time. He was. He was. Uh, so- someone that we did not expect to be passing away so soon was Jason David Frank, yeah. the longtime Power Ranger. Uh, 
passed away at the age of 49 uh, due to uh, he took his own life mm-hmm. essentially yeah. um, he was best known as Tommy Oliver in the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers series um, the show was his acting debut and he would serve as the green and then the later white ranger mm-hmm. for the original mm-hmm. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers series yeah. and though he was only meant to appear for 14 episodes <laughs> he became so popular <laughs> so popular that he would continue to play Tommy for later Power Rangers seasons, like Power Rangers Zeo, Turbo Red, Dino Thunder Black, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, along with uh, many appearances in an anniversary specials, you know, there is no Power Ranger better known than Tommy, and that was Jason David Frank. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for myself and Hardy as well, we do know him slightly as um, oh, uh, uh, as an undefeated MMA fighter, <laughs> uh, 4 and amateur, 1-0 yeah, pro. pro. Yeah. Um, he spent his last few years calling out CM Punk, and let's be honest, he would have beaten him. Yes, he uh, would. <laughs> like very, very easily. And I was, I was always very annoyed with CM Punk for like, oh, I don't do celebrity freak oh, show fights, please. bro. Bro, you're gonna get your yeah. ass kicked by the Green Ray. You, you just didn't want that to Jason happen. Jason David right? Frank uh, is a lifelong martial artist. Please. Yeah, exactly. He <laughs> yes, had, like, you know, he, he had what like six martial arts under yeah. his belt. He was a karate yeah. guy, a taekwondo guy, judo guy. He invented his own martial arts. Jiu-jitsu guy, yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, he 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 ran out of things to learn. Yeah. It's like I'm gonna I'm gonna do a new one. Exactly. Um, but yeah, Jason David Frank was was such a iconic figure in my youth, in particular. Um, I think you know everyone in primary school remembers season one mm-hmm. of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, mm-hmm. and that fucking Green Ranger arc was the tits, man. Oh, it yeah. was. Absolutely. The most engrossed I have ever been in a live action show <laughs> at, the, at, at that age. Like, you yeah. know? It was like, you know, who is this mysterious guy? You know, mm-hmm. where, did, where did he come from? He kicked all of our, all the main characters' asses very easily. Exactly. You know? yeah. uh, and then he, he was redeemed. He joined the crew. He became an essential member of it oh, uh, yeah. to the point where they wanted to do spin-off shows just based on him. He, he was the franchise for the longest, longest time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, obviously Jason David Frank has done other things outside Power Rangers, but I personally know him as the Green Ranger. I don't even want to call him the White Ranger. Like that Green Ranger arc is so awesome. fucking killer, yeah. you know? Yeah. So awesome. Um, With that flute. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. All of us remember it. Yeah. Um, Let's begin with you, Aisa. Uh, what are your memories about uh, Jason David Frank and uh, what do you think about his uh, passing here? Oh man. Um, uh, I, I think for me um it's it's it pretty much similar to you right like watching power rangers on tv as a kid uh being kind of like obsessed with this strange new power ranger that comes uh the review of him as green ranger uh, as the heel mm. and then the eventual reveal of him as white ranger like later on as well uh right mm. we used to have this vhs of um the original power rangers movie uh, and we used to watch that to death so much so like we spoiled the tape right uh, yeah. and like mm-hmm. Jason David Frank was such a big part of those like kind of key memories you know mm-hmm. uh, even as Power Rangers kind of made a a, a a comeback I guess right with the kind of like gritty fan reboots that were floating around the internet for some time and things mm-hmm. like that you know um, it, it was always to me because like we never got like uh full like Jason David Frank Green Ranger or White Ranger thing out of mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Uh, that felt like what was lacking right like he's been such a a big part of the franchise and the yes. identity of the Power Rangers that yep. you know uh, that was really what I was kind of like waiting and kind of gunning for so mm-hmm. uh, mm. rest in power 
Definitely. Definitely. Uh, what about you, Hadi? Uh, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, Tommy was cool. Okay. Yeah. He, yeah. Made the, yeah. he made me like the Red Ranger a lot less because he came onto the scene. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, just just for like scope, right? He had been in Power Rangers since 1993 till mm. 2018. Mm-hmm. That was how okay. long he has been in Power Rangers, you know? Uh, as a yeah. series regular, he was actually in also, uh, I mean, apart from the originals, and uh, you know, the, 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 he was also in Zeo, he was also in Turbo. You know, yep. um, and then he came on uh, back again as a uh, voice character in two thousand four. Yep. Like this guy yep. was just—he is the Power Ranger, lah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he had a cool. He was a lifelong martial artist. Um, he had really good, like. Um, he never gave like uh, he was he was a real um, what do you call those people? Influ- he was an influencer of his time, lah. You know. Like mm. he 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 was those kind of real life superhero as well, you know. Like mm. he really did a lot for for kids growing up and all that stuff, you know. He never gave you like bad advice and all that. He kind of, uh, I mean, you know, even with his like tattoos and weird hair and all that, right? He always was a good guy. Yeah, you mm. know, what I mean, he never really made a lot of like you know those bad decisions when you you are those kind of like young teen actors at the beginning. Yep. And then you like make those bad decisions like in the future of your, your later half of your career. He didn't really do that. Mm-hmm. You know, he was always a very focused, disciplined martial artist. And mm-hmm. I think um you know he Yeah, lad, he's gonna be missed, man. Just like Kevin Conroy, like yeah, this was another mm-hmm. guy that, that really influenced your childhood, you know? Yeah. Their timelines were remarkable, actually. Yeah. Like, you know, one nineteen ninety-two, one nineteen ninety-three, and they, they haven't stopped like, essentially exactly. until their death. Exactly. Yeah. Being, being their characters. Yeah, agreed. And yeah, la, so it, it's a huge loss to to uh to, to, to the world and I you know I hope uh yeah la, he he rests he rests rest well la, now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely man. Uh condolences to the friends and family of course of uh, Jason David Frank yeah. and Kevin Conroy will miss them both greatly. Mm-hmm. Um I actually went to rewatch the first uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie yeah. because of the Jason David Frank's <laughs> passing. Um you know um yeah, there was there was a rough week. Was. I was yeah, I was I was you know on, on the high of full gear as a uh, Hadi yeah. uh, when I when I learned of his passing. Yeah. So it was a bit of mixed emotions that night. Uh, but yeah, um, let's move on though to the reviews. Mm. Um, let's begin with I think quite easily the biggest title that we have mm. that we're talking about here. Yeah, uh, let's talk about Black Panther Two: Wakanda Forever, uh, a sequel to the multi-billion-dollar uh, grossing Black Panther. Uh, this time, a film with significantly more challenges than the first one. Sure. Uh, particularly, the it has to deal with the passing of Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. Um, and how they would do it in in storyline. I was about to say in kayfabe. Uh, how how they were <laughs> supposed to handle it in storyline. And I think they handled the grief and the mourning and the celebration of Chadwick Boseman very, very well. Yeah. But also, they had to handle the introduction of this big new... Uh, thing into Marvel continuity or MCU continuity, mm-hmm. the introduction of Namor uh, and the introduction of uh, um, Atlantis, now renamed Telokan, yeah. uh, taking after many um, Mayan and Aztec um, symbology mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, uh, the the Latino uh, Wakanda, shall we say? Yes. In a way. Um, underwater. Yeah, in a way. So um, let's begin with, I think, the, the most positive of us uh, for Black Panther oh, yeah, Wakanda yes, Forever. Man. 
Uh, yeah, let's begin with Hardy, man. Uh, what are your thoughts about this uh, this very long film? Well, it was long. Um, yep. Uh, okay, I mean, it's not a perfect film. Uh, yep. But I really enjoyed uh, quite a few aspects of it. Mm. Um, enjoyed might be the wrong word. Uh, I love the tribute that, that was paid to Chadwick Boseman. Mm. Um, I love the, the way grief was um, portrayed throughout a huge part of the film. Consistently, uh, yeah, yep. uh, through the characters of Angela Bassett and uh, the Queen Ramona and uh, Shuri, right? Mm. Shuri, and, Lupita Nyong'o as well. Uh, uh, yeah, and uh, what's the, what's the other? What's the Dora Malaji's name? Oh, Okoye. Um, Denai Guerrero. Yeah, I know Gurera. the actress's yeah, name. Okoye, Okoye. Okoye, yeah. You know, all, yeah. all their characters all have no, no, no. Uh, Black Panther from different aspects. So one as a as a son, one as a uh, a brother one as a commander one as a lover I guess right yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so all this all this grief you know and all that it was really well done I feel by Ryan Coogler and the writers yes you know um, the the visual stylings of Wakanda is again one something that strikes really well mm-hmm, um, yeah. the the storyline with uh, the introduction of the the new the new um, vibranium-rich Talokan yeah. was mm-hmm. interesting. I just wish that we stayed a little more to to, to really get to know Talokan further. Yeah. You know, I like the relationship between uh, Shuri and um, and uh, Kukulkan, Namor. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I wish that mm-hmm. they, they kind of invested more time in that. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. That I feel that that was a bit cut short. And then, the third half of the movie I felt was where I was disappointed a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which was, I think, the same thing when I, with Black Panther, the first one, where the third mm. half was also, the third part of the movie was where, uh, the last, last third, right? Sorry. The yeah. last third yeah, of yeah. the movie was where the disappointment uh, was, uh, again, like, I felt disappointed like the third half. Yeah. You 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 said it perfectly because uh, despite your unintentional like math error, um, it really did feel like a third half. Like, it didn't belong. <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, exactly. Um, yeah. What about you, Isa? Um, in in general, I I did enjoy the movie. Like Hadi has already mentioned, I think a lot of the thematic explorations with grief and mourning were very well done. Mm. Um, yeah. uh, in particular, I think I would like to um shout out Angela Bassett oh. and. Best. Uh, yeah, best. Uh, in particular, Angela Bassett and her amazingly well-toned shoulder and arms. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah. Wow, I was inspired like to go back and hit the gym because that UN meeting, right? When she was yes. Oh, oh that God. that dress with the wow, wow, um, just like kind of mind blowing, right? And yeah. like just that and her maybe Letitia Wright actually to a lesser extent, but definitely uh, Okoye uh, Danagurai has mm-hmm. is. Oof, amazing right that scene yes. where they show off in the throne room with with everybody oh, present so uh was mm. like the emotional peak to me yeah, of the entire movie itself uh wakanda forever is an ambitious movie right it tries to mm. do a great deal and i think a lot of that has to do with of course the unexpected passing of, of chadwick boseman may rest in peace um and and you know just kind of like needing to kind of work that in uh, i'm very sure that they had different ideas of what this movie would 
actually be. But I think in addition to that and in, and, and uh, trying to deal with the death, the fallout of that, the consequences on the nation and its people and its uh, and his loved ones, and trying to usher in Shuri in as the new Black Panther and trying to bring in like Talokan and, and Namor, mm. right? What kind and of... Riri uh, Williams. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and Riri Williams, exactly. Yeah, right? like, uh, yeah. What kind of forever suffers from its own weight? You know, uh, already any one of those particular things would have been meaty and chunky enough to have an entire movie uh, being made about it, uh, much less all of them. Um, you know, and as a result, I do feel that while any moment where, for the for the first two acts, right, any moment where uh, Black Panther takes takes its time for character exploration is more or less really really well done. Yeah. Uh, but then when we actually have to get to the point that most audiences are expecting, uh, which is the superhero part of it, right? It feels rushed. And a lot of it feels very unearned, yeah. right? Uh, in particular, Hari and I was chatting before we started recording, right? There were these two parts that are like key peak moments that I felt were really rushed and unearned. In particular, a very out-of-place arm wrestling match. Yeah, um, yeah, for the title and um, kind of like the peacemaking, right? The pact making yeah. between the two nations uh, at the very end, um, you know? And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily because there just wasn't enough time to explore those things or stuff was left on the cutting room floor, um, you know? But it is an uneven movie uh, mm. overall. Uh, but that is not to say that it isn't good. I think for a lot of people coming into this, given like the kind of news that it has made, uh, many people were expecting us to deal with the passing of Chadwick Boseman, mm-hmm. but they didn't get the movie that they wanted. And I think this yeah. was very clear because uh, when I went to watch it in the cinema, there were a bunch of t- like teens, like older teens sitting behind us mm-hmm. and a bunch of young uh, uh, family sitting in front of us with like kids, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one kid in particular was just like, what? what is going on? I don't understand any of this. Why is, I don't like this movie. Right, mm. because like clearly, you shouldn't be bringing your kids to watch Rokanda forever in the cinemas without explaining to them <laughs> why they have to deal with the things they're going to deal with. And the sentiment of that was like kind of the same, right, for the older teens. A lot of them were uninterested in general with mm. what the major thematic resonance of the film uh, needed to be as opposed to what they expected it to be. And mm. because of these, like, um, not dissonant necessarily, but because of the unevenness of the the differing uh, uh, requirements, right, to make Wakanda forever like a, a complete story, it it did feel uh, like it could have been several movies. It should have been several should, movies. Yeah, exactly. I was just yeah, going to say for that. Sure. You know, I feel like um, Tenochtitlan is an amazing villain. Um, maybe one of the best. Uh, portrayals of a, a understandable, powerful villain that we've had in the MCU mm-hmm. for some time now. Mm-hmm. I've seen Killmonger. Yes, yeah. it's Killmonger, right? And like, <laughs> yeah. I I feel like we did his character an injustice by not being able to explore a lot yes. more. You know, like we are a lot of things are left up to our imagination, mm-hmm. and while we do get flashbacks and things like that, like it, we we have to connect the dots, right? Like so much of it is is um, sh- uh, told to us and not shown, you know. Mm. And I feel like that was a, that was a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Hadi has mentioned, like we didn't nearly get to see enough of Talakan, right? And what we got was beautiful, right? Exactly. Um, but like, 
yeah, but like the culture and who the people are and what the people are about, like we have had an entire movie plus some for to get to know Wakanda, right? But for us to only get like a total of what ten, maybe fifteen minutes of Talokan, is is tragic. Yes, it really, it is really true. is, yeah. and it didn't it didn't set up the conflict between the two nations in a way that felt. Um, essential to the story. You know yep. what I mean? Sure, they did a pretty good job with the power leveling of the nations. I don't think we've ever seen Wakanda on the back foot like that, even against right, Thanos. Uh, Thanos yeah. Right? Yeah. At no yep. point in time did we feel like the nation was under threat. And mm-hmm. for, for the first time, we, we got that. Uh, mm-hmm. But because we knew so little of Talokan and they were this like unknown quantity coming out of, of nowhere, quite really out of the middle of nowhere, um, you know, mm-hmm. it, it didn't feel like there were so many opportunities to make this film great. And I don't know if they had the resources or the time to do those things justice. And that to me, while I did enjoy the movie overall, um, is it's it's downfall, unfortunately. Mm. Yes. Um I understand the business decision to make this a film. Yes. Um, but this this, if anything, should have been a TV show. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, like you were saying multiple films, right? Like when you watch something like, say, Falcon and the Winter Soldier or Hawkeye, those are things that maybe could have been a two-hour film. Yeah, definitely. Or maybe even WandaVision, but actually maybe not WandaVision because of the style, the <laughs> of it. But yeah. uh, this definitely should have been a show. It was too meaty to have been a film. Yes. Um, and, you know, I, but I understand the, the box office decision. Mm-hmm. I totally understand For it. Sure. Uh, you know, this, is, this will have been their biggest moneymaker this year and it did end up being their biggest money maker this year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, I have a lot of issues with the film. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was over both too long and too short um, at the same time. <laughs> the is- issues we're facing. Um, the world building of Talokan was entirely aesthetic yes. and nothing really substantial yep. about it. I don't know how the society works at all. Yep. You know that that to me is Except like the salute. You know, like they salute each other. Um, yeah. The aesthetics, yeah. Uh, yeah, the art design, the symbology of it. Okay, cool. I get mm-hmm. that. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, you could have trimmed easily 20 to 30 minutes by cutting out um, Valentina and Everett Ross, oh, yeah. who played no part in the film at all. Yeah. Um, I even think Riri Williams shouldn't have been there. There was no excuse for her yeah. to be um, inserted into this film, she... other than the fact that I think they wanted a car chase mm. uh, in, in an urban area, okay. so Riri was there. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, like a lot of things about this film was very good. A lot of things about it was very bad as well. Mm. Like, yeah. And it's it's sinks under the weight of its own ambition lah, pardon the pun. Um, so yeah, um, final thoughts on Wakanda Forever and give us your ratings. Let's begin with you, Hadi. Um, final thoughts is that I agree with you the TV series, but even if they cut the movie into two parts, I think it would be a lot better. Yeah. Mm. The first part where, you know, the, the grief and all that and then the, the you know, Talokan actually wiping out uh, Wakanda, right? Yeah. And then the second mm. movie can be the rise and all that stuff, lah, you know? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, and you you can have had six hours, you know, where you can really develop a really good movie, lah. Two mm-hmm. movies, yeah, you yeah. Know, and it could have easily been rebranded. The first film could have been Black Panther Two: Wakanda. The third film is Black Panther Three: Forever. Exactly, mm. something like that, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. Uh, my ratings, I'm a bit generous, I feel, but because I really love the three, uh, and Lupita's Danai and uh, Angela Bassett's performances. Oh yeah, I feel that it is a 7 out of 10 for me. Yeah. Okay. Like, even though the, 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 the third 
last part of the film does disappoint me a bit, but I feel those three performances by those directors were like Oscar worthy kind of stuff, you know? Yep. Mm. Yeah. What about you, Isa? Yeah, for sure. I'm, I mean, like so many of these things, um, so many of these threads could, I hope, I hope that I they hope explore so that in future movies. Yeah. Uh, even if they shoehorn it into all the other movies, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that as well. Make like, a Disney Plus special. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and it, 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 but I, I know that's unlikely to happen because right now Wakanda Forever stands as the only piece of the MCU at the moment uh-huh. that is inward looking, right? Everyone mm. else is looking to other dimensions, other universes, mm. right? We are looking outward and we are looking at threats that are external, and this is the only one that we have uh, on the slate at the moment that is internally looking and I feel that that is going to get lost as soon as we start going with Quantumania and all Into of that. Into phase five. Lah. Yeah. So, um, mm. again, like a lot of flaws, not a perfect mm. movie, but I think for its str- the, the good parts and its strengths alone, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10 as well. Cool. Uh, yeah, I'm giving this one a 6 out of 10. Uh, didn't love it, didn't hate it. Uh, yeah. Uh, pretty much in, in line with my co-host, I just slightly lower only. Mm. Uh, let's move on to, I think something, I actually I'm not sure because I haven't really talked to you guys oh. like uh, outside of the podcast, but I think that we all love, I hope, fingers crossed, we'll see. Um, <laughs> let's talk about um, Andor, the latest Star Wars series right. on Disney+. Plus. We hated it! Uh, no, no. no. <laughs> um, Andor, as its uh, name implies, is the origin story of Cassian Andor, yeah. uh, who we first met in Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a prequel to Rogue One and it is distinctive in the Star Wars universe for being quite easily the most adult, sophisticated, mm. politically complex, yep. mature Star Wars property I've seen since hey guess what? Rogue <laughs> One. Yeah. yeah. Um as much as I loved Clone Wars and Rebels and you know stuff like that, like I do have to say that uh, and Mendo too. Um mm. I don't have to say that Endor is quite far and away the best Star Wars TV show that I have ever seen. Yes. Like by, by a bit of by a, by a huge margin, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would even go so far as to say that Endor outranks, in my opinion, uh, Rogue One right now as oh. the best mm-hmm. thing I've seen in Star Wars mm-hmm. in general. Mm. Um, I I know a lot of people are gonna push back on that. Empire Strikes Back, etc., etc. Blah blah blah. I'm I've been quite open in saying that, like, I've seen every Star Wars thing ever. I'm not as enamored with Star Wars as you are. some of my co-hosts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I watch it because of FOMO, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I gotta say that the only two times I've legitimately felt drawn to the universe mm-hmm. um, has not been Empire Strikes Back mm-hmm. or the prequels mm-hmm. or Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. It has been Rogue One and Endor. Yeah. Um, and to me, Endor is peak Star Wars. Yes. It's Star Wars for people with my sensibilities, yes. um, I guess, you know, a little bit. Um, so yeah, uh, let's begin with the resident black belt in Star Wars, um, <laughs> Hardy oh, here. Uh, what do you think of Endor? Oh, come on, man. Endor was a perfect Star Wars film, a, a TV series. <laughs> Yes, I was going to say that you were, you were wrong on two tracks. <laughs> it's not perfect and it's not a film. No, no, no. Uh, but but it's as close to perfect yeah, as yeah. we can. What yeah. I meant by, by yeah. perfect is because I think it hits all the marks of being a Star Wars property. Um, mm. It has that, you know, it has the that underdog story, right? Yeah. It has the, 
well, not the great villain, but rather the the, the overarching empire that that controls everything, right? Yeah. Um, and it has this crew of people from all walks of life that have to kind of risk their lives for a better tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one thing about Endor that I felt uh, was really, really um, powerful was the main actor himself, Diego Luna. Mm-hmm. I think his portrayal of Cassian Endor again brings this uh, whole series to another level. Um, he's also obviously, uh, it's also obviously well-casted, right? From Lucian mm. to Mon Mothma to the weird security guy that got fired, <laughs> you know? like yeah. And to the ISB agents and all that. Everybody is so well-casted in this. Um, mm. The story beats are on point most of the time. Each episode, um, I mean, not episodic, I feel like, because it's a, it's a greater narrative all around, uh, throughout the entire 12 episodes, right? Mm-hmm. But the... It, it, it is a very intriguing story, something that uh, explores a, a part of Star Wars that is rarely explored, uh, that doesn't have to deal with any Jedis, doesn't have to deal with the Force, you know, doesn't have to deal with the baggage of the Skywalker saga. Mm. Yeah. Yep. So, again, and that was the beauty of Rogue One as well. Yeah. You mm. know, where it was a standalone story about this universe from another perspective. It's the beauty of Mando as well. Exactly. Uh, and yeah. I think Endor pulls that off really well. The world building is excellent, I feel. Uh, Ferrix is some is is well fleshed out throughout the 12 episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, the prison is well fleshed out in the episodes that it was there. Yeah. You know? Mm. Um, Space Florida. Space <laughs> Florida, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, it's like only two, two to three scenes only lah. I know, but I love Space Florida. Like <laughs> specifically, like that one techno track that they made as like the theme to Space oh, Florida yeah, is, is, is such a such a such a banger. It is, yeah. it is. You know, yeah. um, but obviously, Ferrix is that point. Uh, is one of those like a uh, flashpoints of the rebellion, lah. Mm. Sure. And I think uh, that that build right from episode one to twelve, you can slowly see the 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 discontent of the people growing and growing as all the ep- as the episodes pass by, especially to the death of. Uh, sorry, spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah, but to the, the death of someone important like the end, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That uh culminates into this uh point of rebellion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um yeah, and again it also deals with a lot of complex issues. It doesn't it's not your straightforward hero, you know, Luke Skywalker kind of hero, right? It's a very complex hero in Endor. He's not a good guy, he's not a bad guy, he's a very grey character, Lucian especially. Mm-hmm. Right? Where Lucan. Lucan, sorry. Where he also has to do some dastardly things to make for the greater cause. I wouldn't say greater good, but the, the, the for to move forward the cause of the rebellion, Yeah, yeah. So all in all, yeah, it's something that Star Wars needs. Uh, some, uh, in a way, again, Star Wars growing up, la, You know, mm-hmm. because again, Star Wars was actually meant for children. Josh mm-hmm. Lucas famously said, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, when a uh, question about the Ewoks. Um. So yeah. So this is. Star Wars, but for adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I had fun with it. 12 episodes, really good. Um, not, not, not much bad things to say about it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, what about you, Isa? Oh, uh, I think the, the, the really interesting things that stand out for me for Endor, um, a couple of things, two things, right? Uh, is that it doesn't, 
uh, many parts of it does not look or feel like Star Wars. Mm. Uh, and I love that, right? Uh, that's one thing. The second thing is that Andor, um, much like Rogue One, does not suffer from Chosen One narrative, yes, which is yes. a perpetual problem with the whole Star Wars franchise. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, yes, we are following one man, right? But Cassian Andor is not the Chosen One. Mm. You know, uh, and that to me is incredibly important because with everything that Lucas has done and now, you know, Disney and Kathleen Kennedy, etc., etc., like they've built this entire universe, right? And it feels like it's huge and it feels like there are many things in it. But I think Andor might be the first time that uh, you actually see a lot of that. Like being able to see mm. a specific part of the Empire, the ISB, and its internal workings. This is mm. the first time we've ever seen that. Yes. Right? Outside of like the random Senate scenes that we get across multiple movies, right? That's about it. Mm. Like you don't know how the Empire actually works. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the exception of maybe Clone Wars and, you know, Rebels to a certain extent, right? Like the uh, in- Tales of the Jedi maybe a bit also. Yeah. yeah. And, and like yeah. We, we get a little bit of that. But Andor dives deep into mm-hmm. Ferrix, into the ISB into the genesis of the rebellion and the people that make it up. And it's not, the weight of it is not bared upon like one family yes. and the fuck up. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that like is really important to me. Those were the things that I saw in Rogue One that really made me excited for the future of Star Wars. Mm. And Endor, mm. I think, is the culmination of that. The realization yes, of yes. that. Where there's process, where there's detail, where there is substantial enough time for mm. character growth in a palpable way that we now know because Rogue One has already you know it's been a number of years yeah, right. uh, we yeah. now know culminates into something important within the canon law of mm-hmm. this universe right it's mm. not about you know sci-fi magic yes. it's not about some strange mysterious force it's none of that it's about the decisions that people make um in, in, in the face of, of struggle, in the face of trying to survive, in the, in the face of the, the context that they find themselves in. And th- that's mm-hmm. why, to me, Andor feels like an important series, right? Just, like, we got mm-hmm. some of that with Mando, you know? And Mando was fun, and Mando was its own thing within yep. that universe mm-hmm. that felt great. But this is mm-hmm. the first time in a long time, I feel, um, since Rogue One, Right, and maybe some stretches of, of Rebels and, and, and the Clone Wars, right? Where Star Wars feels real, right? Like, it, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm watching the lives of the people that live in this universe mm-hmm. more than the myth, you know? Yes. Every time we have the, the crawling screen at the beginning of any Star Wars movie, it reminds you that this is a myth. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? But Endor does none of that. Endor brings you in. Right, and it is immersive in a way that so much of Star Wars has never been, uh, and mm. and that's why, like, yeah, uh, I agree with with both of you. It's the the best thing that's happened that's to Star Wars so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think like you pointed out specifically about the chosen one narratives that are super valent in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the first show about a group of people, a whole entire galaxy of people who are not chosen for anything. Yeah. Um. There's also this idea that so much of the oppression that the Galactic Empire um, pushes upon the people seems so abstract. A lot of it is told in very dry Senate meetings mm, in correct. the prequel trilogies where they're talking about taxes, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I've never quite felt, I mean, outside of the Death Star blowing up planets, like, I've never quite <laughs> felt 
the empire being you know this oppressive evil like what is what is day-to-day life like in the empire right yeah. um and and this show really illuminates that in in a variety of interesting ways yeah um like this is a very political show obviously yeah yeah a bit a bit john le car and and stuff like so, that and it's it's very much like its predecessor wrote one in that like which brought to life the one's kind of anonymous rebels mm-hmm. yes uh who who captured the desktop plans and that's the driving plot of the first film and agandor explores the stories of the more ordinary denizens of the universe and the characters who are out of focus yeah. when your space visits are on screen yeah And when I say politics, I don't mean that Endor is inherently a liberal or left-wing or right-wing show. No. Um, I think what I mean is that the series attempts to imagine an internal politics of class, culture, mm. and ideology that motivates its principal characters and also its fictional institutions. Yeah. Um, the characters all come from somewhere. They feel rich, you know, whether they be like wealthy in the glittering towers mm-hmm. of the imperial capital of Coruscant, or they could be lower middle class. Uh, they could be poor and desperate, trying to survive in the outer rim. They have random things. They have like failing marriages, overbearing parents. Mm-hmm. They have ungrateful children. Yeah. They worry about debt and unemployment, and they worry about keeping their bosses happy. Mm-hmm. Um, if the rebels are a motley band of idealists, or fanatics, and crooks. Endor's empire, um, you know, a, a sprawling colonial power is populated not just by stormtroopers, mm. but by actual people like the bureaucrats, the strivers, the the sadists, or even the actual responsible functionaries yeah. who, if they are just allowed to do a good job, could have allowed this fascist government to manage its everyday business much more easily. Yeah. Whereas you know? <laughs> uh, that you know, of a woman, the, I forgot the name, but imperial spy master who's eager to prove herself more capable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Uh, this Mon Mothma, a senator horrified by the recognition that a rebellion actually involves some, some fucking ugliness, yep. some real dirt and violence, you know, uh, stuff that like people like saw Guerrera and Lufin, uh, sacrificing recognized, yeah, yeah, re- recognizing fifty uh, of their own, uh, recognizing it very easily. Um, there is the young idealistic, uh, rebel who you know scribbles all the time in what I can only call um his space moleskin, um, um. <laughs> And and you know I I love that what his his manifesto is the thing that that was overlaid in in the the series or not series finale season finale, yeah. uh, you know and and I love a particular moment when he said that we all have to try, yeah. which runs so counter to everything that Yoda has said where you don't no do try. you just try, yeah. we are normal people we have to try, yeah. that we can't just do no, it we must try, Jedi. it is effort it is perseverance it yeah, is resilience exactly. uh, and and that. Makes them rugged and flawed and very grey. Mm. Uh, but all of this, this is the first time I've seen all these aspects of Star Wars that made it feel like a real thing. Yeah. Um, Endor did that for me. Um, is it a perfect show? I actually don't think so. My my only complaint of the show is it's formatting a bit because it doesn't feel like a TV show. Yeah. Um, or is neither is it written as a TV show? It was clearly <laughs> written as like an eleven, twelve hour movie, yeah. and they just uh, cut it up at random parts because every every fucking final scene of each episode is so random yeah. that yeah, they just like oh, let's end this year lah. You know, oh, um, runtime really okay. Yeah, yeah, runtime. Let's cut it off. Yeah, that's exactly yeah, how it, I felt. You, you can totally tell like Tony Gilroy, while being a spectacular writer, has never done TV before, and that that's clear. And that's my only complaint mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. But he's he is also a spectacular writer. Like yes. all the monologues is written Ooh. from Lufin's monologue yes. to um Andy Circus's oh. um Kino Star Lord. Wars ver- yeah. 
Ah, uh, Kino Loy, yeah, Ki- uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. the Other the Star Wars yeah. version of um the Star Wars version of um Apes Together Strong, yes, yes. um <laughs> was was fantastic, you know, um, um yeah, even the um, Deidre Miro, Deidre, yeah, yeah, um, even even um Cassian's mom's uh, monologue at the oh end there, so fight the Empire and all, yeah. all of it was so beautifully written, yeah. so beautifully performed as well yes. by by all the actors involved. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah um everyone was great um no even small characters like like Bix or or uh, Endor's uh, best friend who just helps him out um yeah. or even the guy who tries to turn Endor in uh oh, in yeah. like episode two like even I understood why he was doing what he was doing like he wasn't evil yeah. you know um everyone just felt so complex yeah, like even the minor characters mm-hmm. so yeah like really really loved the show um. Final thoughts and ratings, Sadi. Um, okay, I'm I'm giving it a nine out of ten. Ooh, yep. Uh, nice. I okay. feel that um again it expands on law that has not been expanded upon. Mm-hmm. Um, again, well casted. Uh, everybody, I agree with you. Everybody's complex. Everybody has a interesting backstory, you know. Um, mm. and I like that they still do callbacks. They still do little um, Easter eggs here and there. Um, yeah. Which is a very Star Wars thing. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. this is, like I said, a, a very unique Star Wars show among mm. Star Wars shows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um. So what about you, Isa? Oh, man. Uh, I- I'm going to give Endor an 8.5. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I-, I do think like the pacing could have been better, definitely. <laughs> uh, for yeah. sure, I do feel like certain storylines didn't make as much sense uh, mm-hmm. to occupy as much screen time as they did. Um. You know, um, but but overall, for like the first like major Star Wars TV series that's not under, you know, Favreau or Maloney, um, mm-hmm. Filoni, sorry, um, you know, like Andor comes out kind of guns blazing, and I love it. Like it's the mm-hmm. best writing we've gotten for Star Wars in forever, maybe. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and perhaps the best character growth as well. So yeah, it's a solid eight point five for me. Yeah, um, I'm giving this an 8.5 as well. Nice. Uh, very, very close to... Uh, I mean, may- maybe not as enthusiastic as Hadi, but clearly we are all very enthusiastic about mm-hmm. this. And 8.5 is a very high rating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love this show. Um, I-, I reiterate, this is my favorite Star Wars ever. Yes. Um, and, you know, I-, I enjoy Mando. I love Mando, don't get me wrong. Yep. I love Clone Wars yep. and I love Rebels. And actually, The Tales of the Jedi was a really, really, really good, good like, short miniseries as well. But this, this is the shit. Yeah. You know? Um, will I be uh, excited over Asuka, uh, uh, Asuka sure. like in February? Of course I will. But do I think it will be as deep and complex no, as this? No, I'm, I'm going to enjoy Asuka for very, very different, different reasons. Yeah. Yep. yep, agreed. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I like yeah. that Star Wars. Is, there's now different kind of things for everyone, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and, and it's a bit of a shame that Star Wars fans haven't embraced Andor. This being, you know, a very low-rated show, a lot of people are not watching it. Mm. Um, a lot of people are calling it slow, boring. Uh, well, probably... <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say that, uh, but you being the Star Wars fan... <laughs> I can. Like, I, uh, I know. I, my, my interactions with the Star Wars community have been very turn-offish. Uh, like, I don't want to be one of them. You know what I mean? No, I understand they why. Are... Because they're a bunch of idiots most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it's very toxic. It's like, it's it's not it's not the same. Star Wars fans are very different from Trekkies. Mm. You know, yeah. uh, Trekkies have a bit more like, assault, maybe because of the Federation. Uh, and the of principles course, like, of yeah, the like Federation. They, uh, that's why. 
they grow up with those ideals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why. Was, and and Star Wars is all about individualism. Yeah, therefore, yeah. I am the one who uh, is right. Like I am the protagonist. I am the Jedi. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you have a different opinion. Therefore, you must be the Empire, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Whether you be left wing or right wing, the other side is always the Empire. All You're right. the evil one. I am always right. Yeah, you know? yeah. I and yeah, I mean, I'm more balanced yeah. because of the fact that I also love track. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like you, lah. <laughs> I mean. I mean, we we all love Star Wars as well. Like, we just don't interact with the fan community yeah. as much. Um. Anyways, uh, moving on to the first part of Quick Hits right oh, now, nice. where I'm going to review and talk about some of the films and TV shows that you guys may not have mm-hmm. seen. Uh, but I have because it is my job. Firstly, I'm going to be talking about season one of the TV adaptation of Interview with the Vampire. Let go. Um, as someone who has read, reread, and reread again the entirety, like all 26 books, of Anne Rice's The Vampire wow. Chronicles and its uh, companion Lives of the Mayfair Witches uh-huh. books. They're all set in the same universe. Uh-huh. I wholeheartedly approve of this TV adaptation of Interview the Vampire. Um, it honors the subtext while radically, radically reinterpreting the text in so many fantastic ways mm-hmm. and fascinating ways. Mm-hmm. As I've said many times, I personally mm-hmm. dislike faithful adaptations. Yes. Whenever a showrunner or a filmmaker be goes like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stay faithful to the text, I'm always going to be like, God, it's going to be so boring and predictable. I know it already. Why would I want to watch the same story play out beat for beat in a medium it was not designed for? Mm-hmm. I, I might as well just reread the source. This is why I loved uh, Damon Lindelof's Watchmen and hated Zack Snyder's. Uh, this is why the super faithful first season of The Leftovers was so mediocre, while the radical departures of season 2 and 3 elevated the show to all-time greatness. This is why season one of American Gods was so promising and why the new Gaiman-led later seasons failed so miserably. Mm-hmm. This interview the Vampire adaptation makes a whole lot of interesting changes that, frankly, uh, improves upon the source material. Now, I'm a diehard Anne Rice fan. I've said this also, mm-hmm. but I am not oblivious to her many, many, many <laughs> literary flaws. Mm-hmm. Uh, this show constantly keeps me on my toes because I never know what to expect. Yeah. But while the details may have been altered, in fact, nearly all the details have been altered, the show keeps true to the mood and the themes of the novel. Mm-hmm. The result is a lavish and luscious series that breathes new life into the tired vampire genre. Yes, it's sometimes melodramatic and sometimes campy, but... So were the books. Mm-hmm. The key is the performances of Louis Lestat and Claudia, and the trio are magnificent. Um, the gay dynamics here are more overt than in the books or the film. Mm-hmm. The dysfunctional family dynamic also excels in ways that the 1994 film, perhaps due to runtime, failed to capture. Mm-hmm. Um, the show will frustrate purists, I know, because I do interact with the Anne Rice fan community a lot online. <laughs> But but I, for one, could not get enough of it. <laughs> and I'm very relieved that Anne Rice's complex, sensual creatures have survived the transition to series, uh-huh. uh, to, to TV series uh, intact. And I'm certainly delighted by the superb acting and rich production design on offer here, uh, which is why I'm giving this an 8 out of 10. Nice. Yep. Uh, yeah. Oh, actually, um, I saw you seen the first two episodes. Yes, right? I've seen well, the first two episodes. Uh, I mean, like, I, I when when it came out already, I think we were talking about this just before the show came out, right? And I was, mm-hmm. we were discussing because we've already talked about Anne Rice, uh, on on one of our Behold episodes. Um, yeah. 
as well. So I was super interested in like that. And we've been having to deal with a lot of adaptations, uh, you know, recently in general over the last five years. You know, uh, so mm-hmm. I caught the first two episodes uh, and of course, like the hype uh, is, the hype and like the dislike is both very real online. Uh, but I'm mm-hmm. really, really enjoying it because I think you're exactly right. The fact is I'm not a, as big a Red and I Rise fan as you, but I think I have a pretty decent gap, uh, grasp of her work. Mm-hmm. Uh, this constantly catches me off guard and it's pitch perfect in terms of the vibe and the emotional like notes that it hits. Every single time. And I've only watched two episodes. You know, so I'm super excited to finish the rest of it. I'm glad to hear that you like it and, and I'm looking forward to finishing up the series. Nice. It even satisfies me on very like nerd levels. Like I love the the visual depictions of their powers. Oh yeah. Very interesting visually. Yes, yes. Yeah, those sort of stuff is cool. Like, wait till you get to the Claudia episodes, which are obviously the highlight okay. of the book yep. so, uh, of the of the film and of the show. Where do we yeah. find this? On AMC Plus. Okay, cool. Yeah, or, you know, other things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, next up, I'm going to be talking about Barbarian. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Barbarian is a horror film I recently watched on VOD. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Barbarian is the kind of horror movie that defies expectations so often that I was left, frankly, speechless, um, which is why you should go into it knowing as little as possible. Okay. Um, writer-director Zach Krager reveals a talent for storytelling here that horrifically marries the absurd and the relatable and he's so good at steadily ratcheting ratcheting up an escalating sense of tension that slowly pulls viewers into one of the most surprising and interesting horror scenarios you will see in 2022 or any other year so i would advise you to go into this as blind as possible and which is why it's making this review a bit difficult Mm. but um here is the sparsest (laughs) premise that i can offer because i really don't want to spoil anything Go. So it follows our main character of Tess, mm-hmm. uh, played by Georgina Campbell, who arrives at an Airbnb in Detroit to discover that it's been double booked. Oh no! Um, her surprise roommate Keith, uh, played by Bill Skarsgård, seems nice, but his presence immediately unsettles Tess, who is this strange guy, you know, living in my Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Um, Keith eventually charms her into lowering her guard, but an eerie wake-up call raises those defenses when she discovers a secret passageway borrowed into her rental property's basement. Um, The mystery of what exactly is going on in and below the rental house Mm -hmm. is compelling because uh, Tess does an excellent job of of balancing the curiosity and her her fearful recognition Mm. that exploring it is a bad idea. Um, There is a distinct impression that Tess has seen a horror movie or two and she's careful not to make any (laughs) horror movie mistakes, which I like from a character. yeah, okay, that's all I can say. Mm. Uh, besides, <laughs> go and fucking watch this. It's not perfect by any means. Uh, but even discussing its minor flaws will reveal too much. Okay. Uh, I'll just say that the flaws are more than made up for with the film's quite shocking ambition. Uh, don't read up. Don't watch the trailer. Hell, forget this review at all. Uh, just trust me on this. Like It will continually surprise you. This movie never goes where you think it's going. There are four or five quite brain-bending twist that I just don't see coming that changes the entire nature of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's thrilling and suspenseful and it's, yeah, it's, it's filled with twists you won't see coming. It's an 8 out of 10 mm-hmm. for me. Nice. Uh, next up, let's talk about the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. <laughs> so, um, over the past few years, the MCU has become so popular that the characters have kind of almost become family and fans know and love them so much that any chance to spend even, you know, one or two more minutes with them outside of their own films 
feels like a gift. And that's why the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special is so interesting and, yeah. well, special. It, <laughs> it allows fans the opportunity to spend some downtime with these beloved characters, resulting in a heartwarming and entertaining, uh, but, you know, slightly superfluous experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's set between the events of Thor, Love and Thunder and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Yeah. Uh, the Guardians have a new home, they have a new ship, and they're kind of just going through the daily grind. Yeah. Uh, we learn via an animated flashback how Peter Quill first introduced the idea of Christmas to the galaxy. Yeah. And Mantis and Drex are so moved by the story yeah. that they want to give Peter a proper Christmas present. Yep. Yes. So they travel to Earth to abduct Kevin Bacon. <laughs> uh, played by real Kevin Bacon. Mm-hmm. Um, on the quest, the pair traverse Hollywood looking for the actor, getting into all sorts of hijinks. And once mm-hmm. they find him, well, imagine you're Kevin Bacon and Drex at Man- and Mantis show up at your door. Like, things exactly. don't go well. Yeah. Um, the story pays off incredibly well later on um, with some really funny and lovely and magical moments at the end that kind of leave you feeling joy- uh, joyful yep. uh, or joyous because that's what a holiday special should be. Mm-hmm. Is it essential to canon? No. Oh. <laughs> but that is kind of the beauty of a fun one-off adventure like this. Mm-hmm. So many times we are caught with these myriad of characters doing... Uh, season finale stuff like, uh, but I want to watch them just doing shit you know like yeah. hanging out having Christmas together exchanging gifts uh, going drinking in the club stuff like that you know yep. um, and I love that type of stories like, more so than <laughs> you know how more so than them saving the universe again yeah. how many times can you see that happen exactly. I just want them to hang out and this was such a fun hangout yeah. uh, uh, for like for a better term episode a uh, holiday special yeah. Yeah. Um, you guys have seen this as well yes yeah, I, I, I uh, yeah really let's, enjoyed be, it. let's begin with you I yep. really enjoyed it. Uh, I was I was reading a particular review uh, about it, or rather, like it popped out on my feed, and they were saying that this is Marvel's uh, answer to the question: How do we deal with like content burnout? Right, mm-hmm. like our audiences are so tired of just the sheer amount of content we're doing now, and uh, I think you're absolutely right. Like um, character downtime is downtime for audiences as well, and um, I'm fully on board for the ride. I think. Having Kevin Bacon on board was just kind of like a struggle genius. Like, I really, really enjoyed that. Uh, but like, given it's very short, like thirty-ish minutes runtime, like it packs so much like good stuff into that. It's fun mm-hmm. to watch. It reminds us of the holiday season. You know, uh, it, it it allows us to see the characters in different kind of contexts. I mean, yeah. what's not to like? Really solid. Uh, yeah, it's a seven out of ten for me. Like. I think if you are a Guardians fan, it's a must-watch. Yeah. Even though it's no particular impact on any kind of like future lore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, what about you, Hadi? Uh, it reminds me a bit... I mean, again, it's just a fun time, quick half an hour, you know, does nothing to the lore of, of the MCU, but it's so just, you know, it's sweet, it's fun. It reminds me a bit of like, you know, when uh, Thor had his uh, stay over with that Australian guy. Mm, oh, oh, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> his roommate, right? Daryl, yeah. right? Where they just yeah. do yeah. nothing, right? Yeah. Same mm-hmm. thing, like, same concept, I guess, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a bit more, sh- uh, a bit more uh, budget, right? Where <laughs> yeah. you, uh, yeah, so it's a sweet story, you know, trying to, to make uh, Quinn a bit less homesick and maybe less sad, you know, because of all the things that happened to him. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I think it's a it's a it's a nice little friendly story, and uh, yeah, it's a seven out of ten. It's fun. Yeah, it's seven out of ten for me as well. Uh, let's move on though to a solo review. Uh, uh by Hardy oh, this time. Yeah, that's me. 
um, where he's going to be talking about uh, the recent film directed by Oliver Wout, starring Florence Pugh and Harry Styles. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, darling. What do you think about this? Don't honey? watch this film. oh man okay the one thing that i have to say that it is an interesting concept that you know about uh simulation about um uh, relationships with um you know those community kind of relationships you know that kind of thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but there was so many unanswered things This, uh, this movie goes on to open a bunch of mystery boxes mm-hmm. which they don't resolve so it's very frustrating mm-hmm. have you watched it by the way mm-hmm. uh yes i have do but, you walk um, out of it um say again do you walk out of it or do you watch the whole thing no 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 um i i i watched the whole thing uh primarily because i didn't watch it in the cinema so ah okay okay, okay. Uh, yeah same yeah, i didn't watch um, it in the cinema either um, I agree. And, don't watch this. It's my review. Yeah, don't watch this. Uh, it's a cluster, fi- a cluster fuck lah throughout the entire thing. Uh, there's very weird turns that this movie take that make no sense at all. The character's motivation doesn't make sense by the end of the movie itself. You know, um, yep. characters do very weird things for no reason at all. Like, it's trying to be high concept, but it fails. To, uh, it fails so badly. Mm. Um, I think. Yeah, I. I think this movie was too big for its breaches. Lah. And right. yeah, I, I the writing was not great. Uh it was an over it's like a overindulgent kind of um film lah, that that really just sucks so badly. I, I give this like a one out of ten, man. Cool. Yeah. Um about the same here. Lah. Yeah. Uh one out of ten. Yep. Don't watch this film. That's my, my number one um Number one advice. That's all. Uh, let's move on to. And I love Harry Styles, from... by the way. I'm a huge <laughs> fan of Harry Styles. So that's how bad this movie it made me hate Harry Styles. Oh, good Harry Styles is an incredibly bad actor. You know? He's like so incredibly bad, bad actor. The spent, uh, what my was it? Movie he's in. Yeah, he he was a detective right yeah. in the, in in that that other film with um. Oh, fuck, yeah. um Sasha Ronan, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. My God. Yeah, he, he's terrible in that as well. Yeah. Stick to his stick, day job. Stick la. to the, the, the singing, please. Please, 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 please. I'm so sorry. Definitely. I, I, I mean, this is coming from me and Hadi. The people who fucking watch pro wrestlers try to act. Exactly. <laughs> this is somehow like a lot worse than any of yes, them. Yes, my policeman. That's why it's called. Please, 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 Harry Styles. Just sing because your music is so awesome. Okay? Do that. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Um, I I do have to say in closing that I I enjoyed the controversy around the film quite a bit. I, bet, I, I enjoyed the controversy a lot yeah. more than the film itself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It it was very very fun to read about. Yeah. Um, I mean I, I don't take any sides. I'm not like pro Florence Pugh or pro Orville Wilde or pro Harry Styles in real life. I just as as a person who has no investment in any of these people, I just like to sit back and like read about the shenanigans that happens at cards or whatever yeah. Yeah. I don't want to take a picture with you I don't want to I spit on your hand stuff like that you know who's fucking who who didn't show up on set why well, they're not I standing love, together yeah I, I, I love this type of things yeah. like, it's just like a, yeah that, 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 but that's just me um, mm-hmm. let's move on though to something new on Netflix mm-hmm. yeah. uh, a new adaptation of the Adams Family this time focusing on Wednesday Adams called Wednesday uh, Isa has seen this. What do you think about Wednesday, Isa? Oh man, yeah. So Wednesday is um, 
how do we simplify? I would say that Wednesday is a adaptation kind of spin-off, a coming of age, um, supernatural comedy horror question mark uh, series mm-hmm. uh, directed by uh, Tim Burton, starring Jenna Ortega, who uh, mm-hmm. and I absolutely love in um, oh no, Fallout. Yeah, the Fallout, like an amazing, amazing performance, and. Yeah. Uh, I, I have mixed feelings about Wednesday, right? Like, I think Jenna Ortega does an amazing job with what she's given, which isn't a lot. But even then, like, she does an amazing job. Uh, mm-hmm. With her portrayal of Wednesday, I think it's mm-hmm. extremely different from what we got from OG Wednesday, aka Christina Ricci, who's also oh. on the show uh, for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wednesday ends up being... Um, well, it ends up being a CW show. Right, like uh-huh. Riverdale, like Sabrina, uh-huh. in that same vein, uh-huh. perhaps done a little better. Um, imagine Wednesday Adams as a a little more macabre um, Veronica Mars going to a school of, you know, monsters essentially. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. and like trying to explore the mysteries along the way. None of which really feel any kind of like consequential. I think mm. my difficulty with this is that when they announced Wednesday, right, and they said that they were casting uh, Jenna Ortega, uh, I yep. was looking for something a little darker and a little more, well, <clears throat> horror, right? There's very little mm. of the actual macabre in the series itself. Um, mm. It also lacks the the visual pizzazz that you would expect from a Tim Burton outing, right? Costumes really? Like, yeah, I think like it has an aesthetic, sure, and the costumes are great, you know. But no, it, no, I, I just mean that um, Tim Burton hasn't had visual possess in like twenty years. Yeah, that is true as well. <laughs> wow. Right? Yeah, but like because it's associated with the Adams family and that has its yep. own very strong aesthetic. Very, yeah. Very little yeah. of that applies here. Absolutely, oh, very little yeah. that applies here. You know, and yeah. like uh, I do think the costuming is great. Like you get a ton uh-huh. of just kind of like fan service because you essentially get Wednesday Adams cosplaying as a cat girl, as a pilgrim, as a student, as wow. a waitress. Yeah, you get all of that kind of like fan service. You get some really like, you know, uh, at first pass like sharp witty one liners from her. Um, mm. You know, the unblinking kind of like stare all the time. Like all of that is. Interesting and like uh, uh, kudos to, to Jenna Ortega, but uh, the show itself kind of runs around in circles. Uh, yep. unfortunately, you know, uh, I do want to shout out, however, um, the girl I think uh, Emma Mayers, who plays Enid Sinclair, this is basically Wednesday's mm. roommate, who is this bubblegum werewolf essentially. Uh, mm-hmm. Wow, I really, really loved her character and it was like, she played a great foil. I would have loved to see these two characters in something a lot more substantial. That being said, and here's where my mixed feeling comes in. Overall, I mean, people have spent many seasons watching Sabrina, myself included. People have spent like many seasons watching Riverdale. If that's your thing, this completely works in that. And overall, the show works like it leans into the camp of that. It leans into the absurdity and the silliness and the vacuity of of the premise itself, right? Mm-hmm. I just think it's a bit of a waste uh, to to have a very outstanding um, actress in Jenna Ortega um, in something that is kind of okay only now. So I'm gonna give it a six out of ten. I think like if you want to kind of turn off your brain and you want you know a little bit more. 
uh, of your goth emo schoolgirl um, detective story, sure, by all means, go ahead and watch Wednesday. Um, mm. It's it's worth a it's worth a you know afternoon kind of like I got nothing better to do. Okay, okay. Time. But I wouldn't be too invested with like adding on to the law of Charles Adams or the you know the original um, comics or you know even the original um, series for that matter. For sure. Uh, shout out to Catherine Zeta Jones who still plays an amazing Morticia, and Louis Guzman has the most unnerving. Uh, the the <laughs> most unnerving. Um, what's the father's name? Gomez. Gomez. Yes. Uh. Um. Uh, like it, there are there are these moments of like great performances, like kind of sprinkled throughout the eight mm-hmm. episodes, that mm. doesn't really quite save the whole thing. But sure, I'll give it a pass. I enjoyed it overall as kind of like an easy watch. So it's six point ten out of me. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, that sounds fair. From all the reviews that I've read, it seems about similar as well. Uh, yeah, definitely go watch Jane Ortega and other genre things oh, yeah. if you want to. Um, X, one of the best horror films of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, she stars in it as well. Um, you may have seen her from uh, You Season 2, uh, yeah. which is also a fairly creepy premise, to be honest. Um, and yeah, uh, and, and the fallout uh, about, uh, about two survivors of a school shooting, which is really, really great as well. Oh, yeah. uh, she has had kind of a, of a really, really good year. Like, obviously, Wednesday is her biggest role. She's um, making the most of the red carpet appearances and whoever her stylist is, is having oh, the time for like oh. dressing her up. Yeah, yeah mm. seriously. Uh, like, yeah, she's, she's doing really, really well and kind of like getting um, shopped around the carpet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, available on Netflix right now. Now moving on to the second part of Quick Hits, where I talk about other films and TV shows that you may not have seen. This is going to be a quick one, guys, so uh, bear with me. Um, from one vampire novel adaptation featuring a preteen vampire child to another, uh, this one I'm going to be talking about Let the Right One In. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Another Much one? like Interview the Vampire. Yes, another one, another one. Uh, much like Interview the Vampire, Let the Right One In also has to contend with a much-beloved movie adaptation that's been out for years and years. Uh, this new series is yet another take on the acclaimed Swedish novel from 2008 that follows a 10-year-old vampire girl and her caretaker. The icy, masterful 2008 Swedish film is a certified classic, and the 2010 mm-hmm. American update by Matt Reeves, uh, starring Chloe Grace Moretz, proved to be, while not as great, fairly good. Uh, unfortunately, this TV version is quite a dud. Uh, Let the right one in the series attempts to build out a full season arc, but in stretching out the story, the series drowns in drowns its central characters in weird expositional dialogue and needless new plot devices. It just falls flat. It is a 4 out of 10 for me. Uh, next up, also on Netflix, uh, 1899. Coming to you from the creators of Dark, 1899 is a new mystery horror show. Um, if you're familiar with Dark, you know that these German writers demand your patience. Mm. Uh, to three seasons of Dark, very little made sense and the show kept the growing audience largely in the dark um <laughs> with their new show no 1899 uh fun very intended actually uh with with the new show yeah i, I wrote it down and everything okay. uh with the new show 1899 the creators follow the same path okay. they are crafting a world shrouded in mystery and often confusion uh they have a massive ensemble of european actors mm-hmm. uh, and the mystery series follows a ship heading towards america from europe that's when they encounter another vessel that has been missing for several months the captain then decides to investigate, setting off uh, a chain of events which make little to no sense at first glance. Mm-hmm. 
as the episodes go by, more questions continue to pop up with answers coming very sparingly. The German team of writers isn't rushing towards a conclusion. They take their time. They give several of their characters extended dream sequences. They inject new plot lines without a second thought. Mm-hmm. Still, most of the show's runtime concerns itself with uh, the captain and uh, another passenger called Emily, two characters who have experienced intense loss. And that's what the writers seem focused on, the impact of loss and grief on a person. The series really thrives when it centers on this examination of loss mixed with the unreliability of memory. You know, they weave together for a perplexing narrative mm-hmm. and a density of themes to create a very singular experience, one that audiences know that the creators of Dark can achieve. Mm-hmm. Much like Dark, the story is non-linear, with characters walking in and out of scenes from their past as seamlessly as they walk in and out of a room. There's a lot of surrealism going on here, and that isn't the easiest genre to pull it off, but it's, it's all over 1899. Mm. However, trying to understand why events are happening is, I'm going to say, futile. In <laughs> fact, even trying to understand what is happening may take more effort than any TV viewer might want to expand. Part of that is intentional because of the large ensemble of international actors all speaking their native language. It's a multi, multilingual series, everyone speaking different languages. But the multilingual aspect would work better if the dialogue was simply better written. Um, the biggest problem of 1899 is the same one that Duck struggled with, pacing. Mystery box stories rely on action, getting more and more mystifying until the last few episodes make sense of everything mm-hmm. using the available clues. Duck did this several times over. But creating the mystery often got in the way of telling an emotional story. That's what happened, with, happened to Dark and that's what happens to this show. At a certain point, it becomes difficult to care about what's happening. Hmm. All the emotional ca- consequences of these characters beyond simply wanting to figure out how everything is connected. So only a 7 out of 10 for me. Oh, okay. Next up... We're going to be talking about Strange World. Uh, Disney's latest animated feature is a Jules Verne-esque adventure. Uh, the movie follows the leg- legendary Clades family, a family of explorers whose differences threaten to topple their latest and most crucial mission. What is their mission? Journeying deep into uncharted and treacherous land where fantastical creatures await them. This is a tale of a father trying to raise his teenage son more lovingly than his own dad raised him, Uh, And it kind of packs in plenty of sweetness, not to mention the acknowledgement of the importance of respecting other people's choices, even if they're not your own. But Strange World ultimately feels weighed down by both its predictable quest narrative Mm -hmm. and its daddy issue themes, which are also predictable. Worse than predictable, it feels to be as moving as one would hope. Uh, That's a consequence of poor writing. This is also a 4 out of 10 for me. Finally, I'm going to be talking about Disenchanted. Oh yeah, how did that go? Boy, um, it's been 15 years since <laughs> Amy Adams's Giselle and uh, Patrick Dempsey's Robert uh, wed in Enchanted. Mm-hmm. But Giselle has grown disillusioned with life in the city, so they moved their growing family to the sleepy suburban community of Monroeville in search of a more fairy tale life. Unfortunately, it isn't the quick fix she hoped for. Mm-hmm. Um, suburbia has a whole new set of rules, and a local queen bee, played by Maya Rudolph, mm-hmm. makes Giselle feel more out of place than ever. Frustrated that her happily ever after isn't so easy to find, she turns to the magic of uh, Andalasia to for help. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of accidentally transforming the entire town into a real fairy tale, yep. and place um, placing her future families, uh, her family's future, uh, in jeopardy. Yeah. Uh, a bit like Wonder Vision, actually, to be honest. Yep, yep, yep. Um, 
So Giselle is in a race against time to reverse the spell and determine what happily ever after truly means to her and her family. Now, the film is quite gorgeous to look at. It's prettier than Enchanted. But, but Disenchanted fails to truly rekindle the magic mm. or the biting wit of his predecessor. Mm. Um, Amy Adams doesn't gain much outside of, I'm assuming, a fat paycheck by returning to the world of Enchanted, mm. which is a cluttered and noisy sequel to an unexpected cult classic. Um, it lacks the charisma and the wit and the intelligence of the original film. Mm. And this film will make everyone, uh, again, pun intended, feel disenchanted with the franchise. So also... 4 out of 10. Uh, you saw it, honey? Yes, I did. Um, because cool. I was a fan of uh, Enchanted. Yeah, we all uh, are. I'm yeah. a huge fan of Patrick Dempsey. So, uh, from Grease Anatomy, <laughs> yes. right? Yeah. Uh, and from his racing. Um, yeah, this was... I agree with you on all fronts. This was not a very good sequel. I, I like that they tried to be innovative and tried to make Giselle a bit more of an anti-hero kind of character. Mm. Right, mm-hmm. uh, I think Maya Rudolph like overacted throughout the entire thing, but I think that's what she's there for. <laughs> I think that shows what she was asked to yeah, do. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah, think she does yeah. it very well. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yep. But overall, it was a very messy story. Uh, it didn't really uh pull me in like the first one did. You know, there there, there was something mm-hmm. magical about the first one. That the second one, yeah, you're right. It, it yeah, disenchanted is the feeling I have after watching it. Definitely. Um, you watched it on Disney Plus, is it? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so did I. Uh, I saw you didn't watch this one, right? Nope. Okay, never mind. Cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't worry, darlings. Uh, do not watch Don't Worry, Darling and Disenchanted. Uh, that's our episode. Um, recommendations. Uh, next up, though, uh, let's turn it over to Isa. He's going to be talking about um, a really immersive, innovative quite unsettling audio play mm-hmm. yeah. that uh, myself and him and Chris Falk uh, went to watch at the Esplanade Theatre uh, yeah. just a few weeks ago. Um, it is called Blindness and it's adapted by Simon Stevens from Jose Saramango's uh, accla- acclaimed novel mm-hmm. um, and it is beautifully executed. Oh, uh, it, is, it is one of the most startling and memorable uh, theatre experiences I've ever been to if you can even call it theatre. Yeah. Uh, uh, what do you think about Donmar Warehouse's audio adaptation of Blindness, Isa. Oh, man. Um, I've never read the novel, right? Uh, my, my closest uh, approximation to that was the uh, 2008 film starring mm. uh, Julianne Moore and Mark Ruffalo. Uh, it, was mm-hmm. a, it was a decent movie, I, I think. Uh, but I had, um, I, I had an idea of what we were getting ourselves into based upon that, right? Mm. Uh, but this was a, a very, very kind of special kind of theater outing. Like every once in a while, right? Um, a, a friend and uh, constant collaborator, Chris Falk, and I will we'll head to the theater, we'll go and watch a bunch of stuff. I think this has been one of the most special and unique ones that I've ever been to. Uh, mm. First things first, you don't sit in the theater, you sit on the stage, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the people at Dorma Warehouse basically converted the Esplanade uh, theater main theater stage into um, where you ex- where you go through this experience uh, mm-hmm. itself. Uh, the chairs are arranged in pairs all across the room and spaced out uh, in a very kind of specific way. Uh, audience members are. Um, uh, are Asked to turn off all of their electronic devices because it is a 
uh, sound and light show and any additional source of light will um, will definitely kind of like spoil the experience itself. Um, You go in, you put on a bunch of uh, wireless headphones and uh, you kind of strap yourself in for the ride. Uh, I was sitting next to Chris. Uh, Hits was um, a a row away from us uh, sitting by himself. Um, So maybe he can kind of chime in how different it was uh, for him Mm. um, being uh, not being paired up with a different audience member. Um, Mm. The beginning of the the play i guess or, or this audio play um starts off with a, a bunch of narration right like almost in a your typical kind of like news report way where the narrator kind of explains the setting you're in and all of that uh, about 10 minutes in everything changes right uh the story takes on a uh, a point of view that is a lot more intimate and personal Right at any given point in time, you as an audience member, you're not sure whose body you're inhabiting, but it is very clear that you are inhabiting someone's body. Uh, the timing of the lighting and the sound effects, and just like this um, hyper immersive 360 degree sound stage that has been created uh, by the people at Dormant Warehouse, is insanely. Um, the fidelity is insane, right? I'm sitting maybe about 10 cm away from Chris, right? I know that he is sitting there to my left. But throughout the entire experience itself, uh, it didn't matter, right? Like my knowing that there's a person that is within hand's reach of me is completely demolished by the, the, um, the oral setting of the stage itself and the well-timed... Um, a use of lights uh, mm-hmm. amidst us sitting in a constant state of pitch black darkness. Um, yeah, uh, just because I don't want to kind of like um, spoil what the full experience is going to be like. I mean, if you want to know what the story is about, please go ahead and read the novel. Uh, as Hidze mentioned, it is a well-acclaimed one. If you can't be bothered, mm-hmm. you can also go and watch the movie. It's not bad. Uh, but essentially, like... Um, the the people at Dorma Warehouse for their adaptation of blindness turns what one would think of an audio play on its head uh, just in terms of the experience that you get while you are there. Uh, it is frightening and uh, immaculately kind of timed. The acting uh, done by the voice actors, well, it's not just voice actors, right? Because they're constantly moving around the space and moving around you as they kind of go along. Uh, is terrifyingly accurate and it always constantly feels like there is someone present with you within that space despite at the back of your mind you know it's not physically possible for an actor or a a character to be there. Um, Mm. Yeah, the sound design is mm, so good. So, so, so good, you know. Uh, unfortunately, Blindness had a very short run here in Singapore. We managed to catch it on the last day um, yep. for the entire thing. But if you're listening to this and for some uh, happenstance you manage uh, to spot this being put on again, please, please, please go and watch it. It is uh, by far one of the most interesting and exciting and challenging theatre experiences that I've ever had. Uh, easily, it's an 8.5 out of 10 for me. Uh, what about you, Hits? How did you feel? 
Uh, similarly to you, you know, um, like you said, like I don't think it mattered if someone was sitting next to me, mm-hmm. um, because uh, well, <clears throat> the premise of the uh, of the story is that um, the entire world is going blind due to a pandemic, an epidemic of blindness, and no one knows what's causing it. Uh, you yourself are kind of put into the position of one of the blind protagonists here, being led along by his uh, fiance or wife, I forgot, uh, yeah. uh, partner, like, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so the majority of the play, you're kind of sitting in the pitch black. Yep. Um, so, all, and, and, and you're guided along by this woman in your, in your, head, in your headphones. Yep. Uh, and it's such a immersive oral experience because they, they use something called 3DO, uh, 3D sound. Yep. Um, and you, you, can, you can get an accurate sense of space. Yes. She's on your left, she's behind you, she's in front of you, she's getting attacked, she's fighting, yep. uh, stuff like that. And, and, and you're just kind of helpless to you're just kind of sitting here helpless because you kind of want to help but I mean you can't you're blind you don't mm-hmm. know where she is stuff mm-hmm. like that it's very unsettling and it makes you feel quite powerless in, in, and that's the intention of the story yeah uh, yeah, very very well done um, also an 8.5 out of 10 for me probably the, the most interesting uh, theatre experience I've had in my life I, I think mm-hmm. yeah for sure yeah so if you guys uh, you know manage somehow if they're going to stage it again because I think it was extremely popular um, please go check out uh, uh, Doman Warehouse's uh, um, adaptation of Blindness. Nice. Yep. Uh, we are capping this off with uh, Hardy, uh, who has two reviews for us. Oh. Mm-hmm. Firstly, uh, he's going to be talking about a new Netflix horror series yeah. based on a series of Singaporean books, Goosebump-esque uh, uh, horror books for kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Mr. Midnight. Uh, it's been adapted into live action on Netflix. Um, I understand uh, that your wife was involved a bit in the her production company, of it. Company. Her company uh, was involved in the production of it. Um, so you have a bit more insight than I do. Uh, what do you think of Mr. Midnight, Hardy? Um, well, uh, certain good things, certain bad things. Overall, sure. this this TV series is definitely for kids. Uh, maybe ages you know, 8 to 12. Um, mm-hmm. The storyline is very, very basic, very uh, linear. Um, there are certain aspects of it which I find interesting because they explore certain law of the paranormal in uh you know associated with Southeast Asia, which I I always enjoy. Uh, things like the Hutan Lahir, the Jikiniki, you know, the Pontianaks, you know, and all that kind of uh, usual monsters of the week kind of feeling. Okay. That's what the, the 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 series you can expect from the series. Yeah. Um. And to an extent, you know, the, 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 the costume design and all that, sometimes it's, it, it, it's cute, you know, like for the monsters. Huh? It right. goes from cute to slightly scary, but mostly it's quite comical and quite um, non-threatening. Lah. And again, maybe this is because it's for kids, uh, you know, it's, it's more suited for kids. So mm. I don't really like, uh, I, it's not really a very um, big thing for me lah. Uh, mm-hmm. In terms of the acting itself, I think the main character, uh, TR, played by... Let me see, what's his name? Oh, no, I had his <coughs> name just now. It's okay. Yeah, but, you can find it. Yeah, so I anyway, TR, the main character, this, uh, he, he does a really good job. Uh, his emoting, I think, is very well done, you know. Um, and his... Um, his the, the other... Count, uh, one of his best friends, Ling, also does a really good job. She plays uh, Lim Yu Bing's daughter in this, lah. Um, however, there uh, there's a lot of also bad acting overall. Uh, 
mm. uh, from a lot of the side characters lah, mm. which can take away from this uh, series itself. Mm. Yeah, um, there's certain logical leaps that you have to take to kind of follow the story. You know, uh, mm. something and some of the writing can be a bit lazy. Like mm. just to conclude the story for the week, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it it's not a perfect series. I think it's a good first attempt, uh, at mm. adapting a, a a book series that has like hundred and twenty six books or something like that. Amazing that it comes out of Singapore. Also. Exactly. You know. Uh, yeah. And 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 I think it's a very good effort. Uh, for a first season. Uh, yeah. I I would I would recommend you let your children watch it. You know, it's a fun like Saturday afternoon kind of a uh, binge. You know, if you want to, you know, if your kids got nothing better to do, lah. Okay. You know? So, uh, I'll give it about like a six out of ten, lah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, next up, though, you're gonna be talking about something on Warhammer Plus mm. called Hammer and Bolter. What's that all about, Hadi? So it's an anthology series, uh, exploring. Yeah. So Warhammer Plus is a subscription service for Warhammer, um products i guess sure yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i i I just want to say that i'm very very tired of people just naming their services plus something yeah it's very lazy it's so lazy come with something else please yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so anyways continue (laughs) so uh, no but i agree uh yeah yeah, hammer and bolter is an anthology series that actually explores the world of warhammer 40k uh it's a friend it's a it's a grim duck sci-fi uh, slash fantasy kind of setting lah. Um, it uh, I think it does really well in. I mean, if you're a Warhammer fan, I I suggest you actually, uh, make make time to actually watch these things lah. Uh, mm. it, it does really well to 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 embrace the 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 setting, of the the world. Uh, mm-hmm. the the story. Some of them are very familiar because they're they're, they're stories from the, you know the the multiple books from the Black Library and all that where. Uh, people already, you know, have known for decades now. Uh, if you're a hobbyist, right, uh, of the uh, like me, with uh, with the Warhammer series, um, definitely you you will enjoy most of it, lah. Uh, yeah. There's Warhammer Plus does have a lot of other um, uh, little series. They've been hiring actually. Okay, you know, on YouTube, right? They have a lot of these creators mm-hmm. that create like um, fan videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they are really good at like three D art and three D um, like three D videos and all that like, right? Mm-hmm. I get what you yeah, mean. Yeah. So uh, one of them was uh this series called Astartes, uh was was created by one guy. So actually, Warhammer bought over his entire property, and put mm-hmm. it on Warhammer Plus. Oh wow! Yeah. Uh, and that's what War uh, the, the 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 company um Games Workshop has been doing. They actually been been um getting all these graphic designers, all these uh, uh, creatives, right? And actually um, getting all their properties to be put onto Warhammer Plus. Like. All these I like see, fan okay. art and fan series and all that stuff. I see, okay. Yeah, so in a way, I don't know, maybe it's um, cornering the market or something. It's, it's having a mixed, uh, a mixed thing with fans right now because they feel like it's Games Workshop trying to consolidate all their properties. Yeah. Like. Mm. Um, but it's also them going into more animation and all, and there's a lot of things slated for the future. So Warhammer Plus, uh, is gonna grow to quite a substantial amount of content, la. 
The mm. only issue is that if you're not a Warhammer 40k fan, I don't know whether you want to invest into something like this. Uh, um, but if you do, I feel that a lot of the things that's offered to you, like Hammer and Bolter, for example, is a good way to actually get into the to the vibe of what this whole hobby is about, lah. You know. Okay. Yeah. Something like that, lah. Cool. Okay. Um. What is the like? You have to pay for subscription and stuff. Like yeah, that? yeah, yeah. It's about like seven dollars plus per month, lah. Oh, wow, that's actually quite a bit. Yeah, it is. Uh, but then, Comparative but again, to the others. La. Yeah, again, it is. If you're involved in a hobby and all that, it's a good it's a good like uh, addition to a lot of the things you're already doing. Like they have, I they see. have like, a lot of uh, videos on like uh, playing of the hobby itself uh, to painting the models and all that stuff. Apart from all the original content that like Hoy uh, Hammer Bolter. La. Okay, yeah. cool. But again... If you're not a fan of Warhammer, <laughs> you might not want to do this. Yeah. I mean, clearly, la, why would a non-fan of Warhammer subscribe to Warhammer Plus? Exactly. Yeah, you, you don't even want like Warhammer normal. You know? <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, uh, great news out there for Warhammer fans, I yes. guess. Uh, go catch out uh, Hammer and Bolter on Warhammer Plus. Uh, next month, we'll be back for more genre equality. So uh, the first of the year, as always. Uh, we'll be covering what is, in my opinion, a top 10 film of the year, uh, Girl Murder Toro's Pinocchio, mm. debuting on Netflix on the 9th. Uh, Hadi and Aisa will probably be talking about Avatar 2, mm-hmm. Way of the Water. Um, they will also probably be covering The Witcher Blood Origin. I'm not a Witcher person, so I usually hand it over to them. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is Michelle Yeoh, right? Yes, yep, that's right. Okay, I might, I might watch it because it's Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> um, I will be covering Star Trek Prodigy, uh, the new series based on Willow on Disney Plus called Willow. Mm. Uh, we're talking about an adaptation of uh, Kindred uh, oh. that's going to be out soon. So that looks interesting. I'm not going to say fun, like, it's about slaves, you know. So yeah. uh, it looks interesting. Uh, probably the biggest thing that we'll be talking about is Isis Anime Corner, which is yeah. the, the meat and Ugh. chunk and the, the real highlight of the next genre equality. Mm. Yeah. Because of just the, the sheer number of outstanding anime. Re- Turning a new that's out right now. Yeah. Uh, plus, finally, mm-hmm. yeah, it's stacked. And and finally, I'll be talking about uh, Fastkeep, uh, right at the end there mm-hmm. to the cap of Quick Hits Classics. Uh, what are you most excited to talk about, guys? I know uh, Isa is a lot. La. Yeah, I've, I've got a ton of stuff to kind of like discuss and remember a lot of the series that come back and like, have like a lot of nostalgic me- uh, meanings for me. And there are a couple mm. of like uh, new stuff that's come out that has been pretty good. So it's a it's a, a fair bit to kind of cover, and given that by the time we will be moving on to the new season of anime um, in a couple of weeks, by the time the the um, episode comes out, so this is going to kind of serve as more of a review uh, anime corner than necessarily a recommendation that we usually do. Definitely, um, Hardy. What about you? Like, what anime or what, what show are you you going to talk about? Wow, honestly, I'm still thinking about it, but. Um, on did you say anime? Yeah, I mean you can talk about anime too, of course. I'm I'm, I'm sure you're following several of the shows that we are also following. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but um, most probably I I'm looking towards uh talking about um most probably like my hero academy hmm. I do have to say, goddamn, this season has been like banging off the bag. Yeah. It's just like non-stop yeah. action. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's they like... spend the entire the entirety of last season to build up to, to this season. <laughs> yeah, this, exactly. Yeah, this season just just feels like it's gonna be like twelve straight hours of just like a twelve hour action sequence. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So far, 
is yeah, I've I've not been digging my hero academia to be honest for the last two seasons, but this season is just balls to the wall, it man. I'm been, really yeah. enjoying it. Uh-huh. Um I feel that Mob Psycho is probably still the it best is. enemy out yeah, there yeah. right Mop now. So solid. Yeah. Um I, I really enjoy Chainsaw Man, I really enjoy the new bleach, I really enjoy Spy Family and all mm-hmm. that, but there's something different about Mob Psycho. It, it just is. feels better. Yeah. Um we'll probably delve deeper into this next month mm-hmm. but i have been a bit let down by to your eternity season two. oh um, oh not, yeah we'll, i'm not super digging it we will at all. we will talk about that we will talk about that sure 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 yeah yeah, yeah. uh and of course yeah um pinocchio and everything uh plus myself and uh isa will be talking about the best shows and films of 2022 mm-hmm. uh coming up on behold so look out for that one Boys. uh till next time guys this has been hit zero i'm hardy i'm isa goodbye guys Bye. ciao